Listening Dog Media. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am going to do a brief intro, which has pauses in it, where there will be okay. clips. Um, so it'll be obvious when to say hello. You wouldn't like me to do to natural reverb in those pauses, no? Well, you, you could actually, you could do your own clips if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Greg James, Ames, Ames. How to DJ. How to DJ. DJ. How to DJ. It's about aiming at it. And then even when you miss it, in the try. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins and this is How to DJ. Personality radio for me is what I love listening to. It is not about you, it's about bringing people in. How to DJ. A podcast that explores the life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs, where I ask them to pick five questions from a box of 45. It's a bit like therapy, isn't it? Which is why radio was so appealing. And for this episode... And with a DJ that I first met when he was at school. And it was a huge part of why I really went for it. A DJ who studied drama at uni. I loved messing around on a stage. He's also an author. Are there other things that I could apply that principle to? And he presents the Radio 1 Breakfast Show. It wasn't the old-fashioned phone in the corner rings. (laughs) They say, well done, you have the breakfast show. I just find the whole sort of parade of it so embarrassing. I never really wanted any of my shows to just be about me because that's not interesting. So you're having to just ringlead everything. That's what I love so much about doing breakfast. Yeah, I'd be dead without that. Yeah. But that's the the game, isn't it, I think? And I was like, that's it, I'm off. Let's let's just have some fun. Greg James, welcome to How to DJ. Thank you for having me on How to DJ. Greg, what are your earliest memories of radio? My earliest memories were probably in the car or house when I was overhearing what mum and dad were listening to. So it would be a mixture of test cricket, so test match special, probably Radio 4 for sort of comedy stuff, plus a bit of the archers. And Virgin Radio was a really early memory with Chris Evans and like vivid memories of Russ and Jono when mum was driving me into school because we had a long commute, so I got to listen to a lot of their breakfast show. So I guess those are my earliest memories. Did listening mean anything to you other than being entertained? I think so. I don't think I thought it at the time. I remember loving it, and I remember thinking, what a great thing this is. Is that a job? And then when I worked out that it was, I thought, I have to try and do that job somehow and just work out who are these people that are able to do this as the job. So that's someone's mum or dad 
And that's their job. That's what they do when they get up. And it's not go and teach, which is what my mum and dad did. But their version of teaching is that. That's how they make money. And what did you think they were doing? <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know. Arsing around? It just seemed fun. And it felt, I guess, exciting because it was happening there in this little box in the car. And it's a lot to get your head around. So when you start to get your head around it, I think, why wouldn't you be naturally curious about what this thing is? Because it's weird. Yeah, I had the same kind of curiosity, this kind of one-on-one thing about it. And I think that looking back, I think I was quite absorbed by what I was listening to and kind of in my own world as I was listening to the radio and curious about how they could talk to me. Mm. There's something amazing in the rhythms of it, I guess, because you're not seeing anything and everything comes from the voice or a sound effect or a cleverly edited piece of music or just a song, obviously, just, you know, a brilliant song at the right moment. I always loved hearing how things sounded and I like voices and different voices and silly accents and different accents and that side of it. And I really love tinkering around with bits of audio and montages and the way that music can change the mood. And this is a funny piece of music. Why is it funny? This is a dramatic piece of music. Why is that dramatic? Why are they using that as a bed? So I guess I was really excited by that. And I used to love listening to Round the Horn. My mum and dad used to play that a lot. And it was they had sort of tapes of it. And we used to listen to that on journeys. And I remember not understanding most of it, I guess. But I did like how it sounded. And I liked the rhythms of it and the silly voices and the music and the, I guess, the feel of it. And that's... I guess that's what radio is, isn't it? It's a mood more than anything. The rhythm is really interesting that you pick up on that because I think that's something that if you were to ask anyone why they like something in particular, they wouldn't necessarily identify that it was about a rhythm. But it's key, actually, I think. Well, you have to listen. I guess with any sort of radio play or radio comedy, it's the only thing you get to go off. Everything's about timing and you can tell when someone's not put something together lovingly or there's a bad edit or there's a mistake or something so i guess it's really important because it's it's so clear if it all goes wrong or isn't quite right yeah and i think the rhythm is the equivalent of an, and not to sound too contrived but the rhythm of the dj's delivery what you and i do is the equivalent of comedy timing oh my god that is it it has to be right you have to play the right song at the right time it has to be all those little things and they're things that listeners should never really notice and my old producer neil sloan at radio one used to say push yourself with, you know, talking up to the bits on a donut or something, or push yourself with talking up to this vocal and maybe start that one here and use that ID before you talk and try these bits up to the top of our, because he said, no one will know why it sounds good. They'll just know that it does sound good. Yeah. So those sorts of things are really important, even if the listeners don't know why. Uh, what kind of kid were you, Greg? Shy child, which is probably is the most common response to anyone who gets asked that question, but shy child, really obsessed with things, radio-y things and audio-y things. And I loved, I loved old comedies, I guess. And I loved cricket and that was kind of it. And I discovered drama, I guess, when I was about 15 and loved being on a stage. And that gave me some confidence. And I liked performing and making people laugh on a stage. So that came quite a bit later, but I'd say not the most confident, not the most popular, but just kind of a boy who liked things <laughs> and was okay at school. Where was this? It was a mixture of Bromley in Kent, London suburbs, or 
uh, Epping for a bit in Essex and then Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire for sort of the last bit of my main bit of secondary school. And that was just because mum and dad moved around with different teaching jobs and stuff. So I don't really feel like I have a place that I grew up in. You know, a lot of people have a sort of, oh yeah, I'm from this place and this is a big part of my personality. I guess I've had a, a floating around the M25 kind of childhood, which was not that interesting. But I did have lots of access to some good radio stations and was able to read some books and watch some amazing comedies. So I guess that really formed my personality. Were you into any cool stuff? Mm, does Limp Biscuit count? <laughs> <laughs> it's the closest from what you said. <laughs> I don't know. I liked helping my mum in the garden. How about that? Um, any cool stuff? Well, I, not. I probably not. No. <laughs> Were you into uh, any other kind of music apart from Limp Bizkit? Uh, what was I into? I was quite into my mum and dad's music. So there's a lot of Van Morrison, a lot of Beatles, a lot of Police. You're not helping your case here, by the way. No, I know. I mean, the first time I properly felt cool with music was probably at university when I started to really fall in love with indie bands. And so I'm the classic 2004 onwards indie, which includes The Strokes, obviously, and includes early Kings of Leon and Libertines and that lot. And then through Maximo Park and Block Party and those sorts of bands. So yeah, that was, I guess that was when I was into cooler stuff, but never really, um, yeah, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm just sort of devastated here as I've been asked that question and I don't have an answer for it. So the answer is, Chris, no, I <laughs> didn't like anything cool ever. We should talk about the time that I came to your school. This is how I remember it. It was a Friday <laughs> afternoon and I was asked to come and do a talk about radio. And I, I walked into a, a class of kids who coats on, bags packed, just waiting for the bell to go. And there was a guy in front of them from a radio station called Six Music that they'd never heard of, banging on about radio for as long as he could to a lot of yawning and bored looking faces. But one guy at the end of the session came up and said, I'm kind of into the idea of getting into radio and that was you. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a mad thing. And can I just clear up a couple of things? Because was it the fact that you knew Mr. Etheridge? Is that right? Yeah, he and I had gone to school together. Right, I thought that was the case. Well, it was, it was amazing. And that's, yeah, it's completely bizarre that we're now talking to each other. And I remember it vividly. And I remember being very, very excited that there was a real radio presenter coming into the school. And it was a huge part of why I really went for it and thought, oh my God, I want to do this. It seems great. He's great. He seems like he's having a nice time. He's having a nice life. <laughs> he's, he's getting to do really fun stuff and play great music and talk to people. And it sounds brilliant. So I can't really overstate it enough. It was a huge moment for me because I thought, oh, it is a real thing. Where did that lead for you then? Obviously, you then went on to university and pursued drama. Was there radio along the way at this point? Mm. About that time, I guess, I was doing hospital radio in Bishop Stortford at the Hearts and Essex Hospital. And I didn't do any shows, but I did help out a lot. And I was there for a good couple of years just doing stuff, pretending to do shows, practicing stuff helping them move studios and just be with the desk and have time to pretend and practice. And that was really helpful. And just talking to 
there was a great guy called Steve who ran it at the time. And he was very enthusiastic about it all. And he, they were clearly all so passionate about it. And it was a passion. And there's something amazing about having an old desk from Five Live, which is what they had. I guess they, they used to just get knockoffs from stations that were refitting. So they had an old Radio 5 desk, which I found really exciting. They had old cart players, which I just found bizarre and amazing. So I just messed around with all that. And then went to university and did student radio and then a lot of community radio. There was a, a station called Future FM, which I don't really talk about enough, actually, because it was very much like student radio is the clear path through. But Future Radio in Norwich was unbelievably brilliant. A community station which had a license every now and then on FM in the city. And I got to do a few shows. And I remember doing a few weeks of their breakfast show when I was studying. And I thought that was just beyond exciting. And they had news, which I had to back time to. <laughs> I felt that really that weirdly <laughs> exciting because they were taking it from a Sky News feed or something. And it was great. So yeah, there was that. And then the guy called Mike Cass, who now runs Virgin Radio, he's sort of Chris Evans's boss now. And he used to run the Galaxy Group and he got in touch with me and the rest of the student radio nominees when we got nominated in 2005, I think. And he said, if there's anything you want, just let me know. I can email me a demo, whatever. We can always chat if you want any advice. And I did. And we just kept in touch. And then eventually it led to him inviting me for a meeting in Newcastle from Norwich. I went there for the afternoon. And he said, well, you got the train here. Did you just, just all, all by yourself? I'm like, well, of course I did, because I wanted to go and see an actual radio station. And then at the end of the meeting, he said, great. Well, would you like to cover a couple of weekend shows in the summer? <laughs> I went, are you fucking kidding me? And, and that was it. That was my first <laughs> FM show, you know, proper sort of regional show. And that was it. It was a dangerous thing to give me because I thought, okay, well, I never want to stop doing this. Other than the fact that you got the train there off your own back, um, what do you think he liked about you? <laughs> I don't know. I guess he knew I was a nerd with radio and he knew that I wanted to get better and I was getting better. And But I mean, the demo, I, I guess I was good at that time compared to some other people who were doing it because I won the award and I wanted to make sure I was good and get better. And I, I think he just saw that I was excited about it and wanted to be on and give it a go and see where it went to. What do you think is the measure of good for radio? <laughs> well, then I think it was you could string a sentence together and introduce Calvin <laughs> Harris, which is something I can still do and did this morning. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess good, yeah, good was that. And he was very good and, he, and is very good, I think, at spotting, I guess, a spark because he knew that I didn't want to do it for any other reason apart from I loved radio and I've never wanted to do it for any other reason apart from I really enjoy being on the radio and talking with the listeners and I've always loved the idea of it you know I didn't want it to be a, a pathway to a tv job or I didn't want it to be I'm going to get this job and therefore I'm going to be famous and rich I think if you go into radio with that attitude you're you're probably going to leave disappointed have you always felt like it's easy <laughs> that's another great question no absolutely not I don't find it easy all the time. There are days, which I'm sure you find, where you just feel like it's all working and you don't have to overthink it. You don't have to summon up too much funny. But no, I always feel very conscious. I always feel very, I was, <laughs> I was about to fall into a pretentious trap and say I feel very present. But actually, that is the best way to be. If you feel like you're there in it and you're not overthinking it, 
it, it can feel quite easy, but it's, it's never felt like a breeze, I guess, because it shouldn't do. It is quite a hard job. It's not hard compared to a teacher or a doctor or a scientist, but it's difficult in that it's very exposing. And if you're not very good at it, it's quite obvious. And if you're being shit, it's quite clear. Are the best days, would you agree, the days when listeners send good stuff in? Yeah, I'd be dead without that. Yeah. But that's the, the game, isn't it? I think that's, that's what's always been brilliant, is that you're essentially a ringleader and you're just bringing in like an amazing song here, a brilliant story over there, a funny little one-liner here, and a great clip that you found from yesterday or the day before or the night before of TV, and you're throwing it all in. So you're having to just ringlead everything. That's what I love so much about doing breakfast is I never really wanted any of my shows to just be about me because that's not interesting. And maybe that goes back to what I was like as a kid is I didn't feel particularly interesting, but I knew what funny stuff was and I liked bringing it all together. So I guess those are the special days is when you have the listener just saying, I've got something really funny for you. Or how about this? I spotted this on TV. Could you do something with that? And then it's your job to link it all together and make it into a solid idea. As well as that, I need to have brilliant people with me to help me do that. And I have managed to do that with breakfast. And that is absolutely why the show is still going and has been received well. How much freedom do you get at Radio 1? With the music, not much. With everything else, loads. And that's a great thing. And it's left me to just work on the stuff I can work on. And they are amazing at letting me just do stuff with the team. I have incredible production team. Chris and Will have been, well, Chris has always been with me since about 2015. And we're just having the most fun time. I mean, we're having the most knackered time <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most exhausted I've ever been in my life. But the trade-off is you get to ass around every day and really come up with stuff and have the backing of the station. And they say, yep, yeah, that worked. Keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really satisfying because nobody really knows, particularly management. And it's good to go, hey, look, this worked. Can we try it again? And they go, okay, <laughs> let's see when your luck runs out. Can you describe the moment that you were offered the show for the first time, Greg? Wow. I can't, actually. I don't remember because it was a quite a long, drawn-out affair. <laughs> it was quite tumultuous, I remember. It wasn't the old-fashioned phone in the corner rings. <laughs> they say, well done, you have the breakfast show. It wasn't that. It was a long conversation of, because it has to be very secretive. So I remember it being secret and Ben Cooper saying, there's a thing which could be happening soon. Are you ready for the thing to be happening soon? <laughs> I was like, for God's sake, do you want me to do it or not? And so I don't really remember the exact moment, but I do remember the moment I got the call for my first ever Radio 1 show, which was when I started doing early breakfast back in 2007. And I was on holiday with my mum and my dad and my girlfriend, Claire, who is still a very, very good friend of mine. I think partly because we all went through mad things together, like first job, graduating university together, you know, moving to London or whatever. And I just remember the phone call and it was just the most ridiculous feeling. I just got an agent and it was kind of the first phone call. It's Chris North, who's an amazing man. And he called me and said, hello, love. Um, so I've spoken to Radio One and uh, they were really happy with your first few shows. 
um, they'd like you to do a few more, actually. They'd like you to do the early breakfast show, which is five days a week from October, replacing JK and Joel. <laughs> I really did fall to my knees. <laughs> I just thought, this is, are you kidding me? And they told me how much I get paid. I went, really? What? Are you kidding me? I'm going to go and buy a car. And <laughs> it was just it's so, so exciting. So I remember, I've got a few vivid memories. I've got that one. I don't remember when they said about breakfast, but I also do remember the first breakfast show. That is, uh, Bella's not going to listen to this. It was the most memorable sort of moment of my life, including wedding day, because it felt like a, a dream where I was sat there and I'd always wondered how I would feel if it ever happened. And I didn't guess that I would be calm. And I had this really weird moment of feeling so calm on the first morning of the breakfast show, five minutes before I went on. And I just, it was one of those days we talked about a minute ago, which was, I was like, I can do this. I know how to do this. This is the thing that I wanted to do. It's the thing I've been doing for ages. I've been pretending to do links since I was about 10. So I can do a link. I can definitely do this. And the first one was good. And I said all the things I wanted to say. And I was like, that's it. I'm off. Let's just have some fun. I was just wondering if you pursued drama, where do you think you'd be now with that career? <laughs> I'd be in Bridgerton. Yeah, I was going to say, what show would you be on? <laughs> I don't know. I loved messing around on a stage and I, I really liked acting. And I quite liked doing bits of comedy on a stage, but there's nothing quite like doing a radio show. And actually what I've found is I've, I've really enjoyed writing and I'm getting better at that. And I've been enjoying that in the last few years and thinking, okay, well, radio is amazing and, and I feel so happy doing it, but are there other things that I could apply that principle to of, okay, well, I worked really hard at this and I got a few lucky breaks and managed to get some stuff I wanted to do. Could I apply that to, to other things that I've always been passionate about, which you know, is writing and making other things? And I guess Radio 1 has, has helped me with that because I've had to grow up on, on air. All my 20s, I was on Radio 1. And so for all my 30s, I've been on Radio 1. And <laughs> when it goes, I mean, when I leave, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to manage. I mean, what will I do? Are you now always the most confident guy in the room? No, absolutely not. No. Well, I guess when I'm with people I love and that love me and know me, in my friendship group, I would definitely be the one to always jump on someone making a mistake and then never let them forget it or <laughs> whatever. But I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the guy who's putting on parties, hosting parties, being the life and soul of it. I have to feel like I have my group around me and I have to feel comfortable and safe, I guess, which is why it's a bit like therapy, isn't it? Which is why radio is so appealing because it's your own world that you can make and you have all your friends with you and all your listeners are there with you and wanting to help you out and say nice things and suggest funny things. So I guess I am the most confident person in the room when it's a room that I've made. <laughs> does uh, your wife, Bella, does she think you are a fun guy or a very boring guy? Oh, she thinks I'm an absolute fucking clown. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that she wanted to be with me is because I will always try and make her laugh and always always be pretending to fall over or hit my head or roll around with the dog. So yes, I've always acted up and tried to make my mum or my dad or my sister or whoever is nearby laugh by doing stupid things. So yes, yeah, would, I would hope she would say I was a fun guy. Greg, time to head into the box for the first of your five picks from 45 in this record box here. 
All of the questions are on 45 sleeves. I'll dip in. You just say when, and I'll pull one out. Okay. Mm, when? Where did it all go right? <laughs> Where did it all go right? Probably at the Student Radio Awards in 2005, when I won Best Male Presenter and got my initial break in terms of doing one show on Radio 1. I got to do one tryout show and that was the prize. And that's where it all went right because I wanted to make it as good as possible. I found all my own clips and produced it with my producer, Neil. He went on to become my full-time producer. And I think he was impressed that I'd bothered to sort of clip up bits of The Apprentice (laughs) from the night before and stuff. (laughs) I've got these clips. Can you load them in? Type thing. So yeah, that's where it all went right. Back into the box for question two. Now then, just say when. When? What's the most famous you've ever felt? (laughs) Most famous I've ever felt. Oh, wow. What a question. Well, I am absolutely fame-phobic in a weird way. And that's sort of the worst part of the job in in some respects. But also can be the nicest part because people are lovely. But (laughs) most famous. I don't know. I guess... Starting the breakfast show? Is there a specific place? <laughs> Bella always says that I'm really famous in the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> because that's where a lot of like Radio One is big in the countryside. And uh and I point out sort of modestly, I say, Well, that's because there's not as much choice. <laughs> so it's a captive audience. But I guess I feel more famous. I feel more famous in the countryside. <laughs> Back into the box for question. Because of commutes, because people yeah, are listening yeah, no, for a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go in again. Okay, when? Uh, what do you wish you'd never done? <laughs> Answer that question with the countryside thing. Uh, d- just had any photos taken before the year 2015. Like every, every single photo just of me, like a professional photo of me or like a red carpet thing. Do you know what? I wish I'd never gone on a red carpet ever. I just look like I, I, I'm panicking. That's what I mean by the fame phobic thing is I, I don't think I'd be a very good celebrity. So I try not to be. And uh, if you look at the photos of me just looking awkward and badly dressed and all sorts, then yeah, that. Does Bella enjoy stepping out with you onto a red carpet or going to a premiere? No, no, no. She absolutely hates all of that as well. And I, I think I learned that from my proper idols. That's not necessarily the goal. That's not the fun bit. And I think a lot of people did think, oh my God, the goal is to be famous and to step out and be seen at things. And I just, I've never, I can't think of anything worse, really. I just, not that I don't like going to things and seeing people, but I just find the whole sort of um, parade of it so embarrassing to be part of yeah so she's she's very much the same and that's good it would be bad if if one of us was like come on let's go we're gonna go there's a new premiere or whatever yeah i'm going to spider-man nah you know what bella you go (laughs) the apprentice is on how to dj with chris hawkins still to come it's a whole career's worth of experience that makes it sound that easy they're so smart and so funny and so silly i mean silly is i do think it's really underrated (laughs) and that's where i'd like to sit right in the middle next question okay when now this is one of my favorites for the books 
song title questions respond to the following. What's new, Pussycat? <laughs> Do you want the actual answer? Because it's like I've got a, I'm sort of willing myself on to not answer the question properly. Well, I kind of would like to know what you're up to. Is there something exciting on the horizon? Oh, I see. I was just going to sing some Tom Jones. Um, well, what is on the horizon? I'm trying to calm down a bit because during the many lockdowns, I filled my time with just coming up with stuff and doing more podcasts and things. So I'm trying to s slow down and just enjoy all the things that I'm currently doing. That said, <laughs> I am currently, what's the thing that's most interesting that I'm doing at the moment? I've got a new idea for a podcast. I did a podcast on the billionaire Alan Stanford, who is now in prison for a huge $7 billion fraud. Um, and he tried to get into cricket in about 2008, 2009. So I did a podcast on that, which I really enjoyed. It was sort of a bit more investigative and I was pretending to be a journalist. And then I've come up with a new, a new idea, which is loosely based on people who defect when there's an Olympics on, which I'm quite fascinated by. When the Olympics happens, there's always a few people that take the opportunity to seek asylum away from their horrible regime or whatever. And there's some great ones throughout history. So I'm trying to cobble together enough fascinating stories to make a podcast about it. And there was one story which made me go, okay, this is good and I need to make this, is that when people do defect, there are many underground businesses that help people, in particular as businesses that help people relocate their pets so that you will leave a country and then a few months later, your pet might be smuggled out as well by an underground business or an underground sort of operation, which I found fascinating. So there, that's what's something I'm working on in the background. Can't decide if that's uh, something for Channel 5 or Panorama. <laughs> and that's where I'd like to sit, right in the middle. Another song title question. How do you sleep? I actually sleep really well, which is lucky. I'm the one in the relationship that falls asleep immediately and I can fall asleep while Bella's talking to me. And it really infuriates her because it takes her about an hour to get to sleep. But I've gone and I think I'd be dead if I didn't do that with this shift. And I'm, I hope that you're the same, Chris. Are you a, a good sleeper? Yeah, I'm okay. And, you know, I go through phases. And when you get into a bad phase, nothing feels like it's going to work. Mm. But you learn, I think, doing these hours that your body and mind can just about cope mm. and that you will come out the other side. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you do go into survival mode. <laughs> yeah. But no, I sleep, I sleep all right, actually. But I'm also really good at waking up at 11 at the weekends and on holiday. I will not get up till 11 or midday. And that's probably my natural time. I'm not a natural morning person. And uh, I don't trust people who are actually. I think it's weird. No, I agree. I don't think you ever get used to it either, Dee. Um, who let the dogs out? <laughs> Me. Every morning at about five to six, I let Barney out before I rush out the door because he... He, he's, and he also needs to be woken up. Barney's my dog, obviously. He's not, he's not a lodger. He's <laughs> a weird, weird old man has to go and piss outside. I have to let Barney out. But he's so lazy that he has to be pushed out the door. And sometimes if I'm in a rush, I have to carry him. And at last weigh-in, he is 35 kilograms. So I have to basically just throw this dog onto the garden and say, right, come on, quick. Uh, he weighs more than a teenage boy. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He's big lad. He's, <laughs> he's great fun. And also he's sort of our excuse not to have children for another few years, I think. <laughs> One more question from the box then, Greg. Just say when. Okay. And I'm going to say when now. Who are your idols? <sighs> 
There's so, uh, so many. I'm gonna okay. Wogan, Coogan. Um, <laughs> I've got to find someone else who rhymes. <laughs> Those are two pretty big ones. Oh, got Gervais um, for sure. Um, probably in terms of just pure funny. Victoria Wood was a big presence in my life because my mum loved her, would always sit me down and watch as seen on TV. And I think my love of farce and calamity comes from watching Acorn Antiques, I think. And we talked about the rhythm right at the start of this conversation and there's the timing. Mm, Just sensational, funny people. Yeah, I mean, Wogan was just... So good. The whole thing felt like it was drawn almost. Like it all just flowed amazingly without any, felt like very little effort. But there might have been little effort in terms of him that morning, but in terms of his whole career, it's a whole career's worth of experience that makes it sound that easy. All three of those though, yeah, that rhythm, the timing. I couldn't agree with you more on all three of those. I wondered if Chris Morris maybe might be up there. Yeah. Although his Radio 1 stuff, uh, I was not tuned into Radio 1 at the time. But yeah, absolutely. Brass Eye, the day-to-day, that spoofing, anything that spoofs anything. So any comedy that's a spoof, the thick of it, or Veep, I rewatched during the first lockdown. You know, those sorts of shows, I just think they're so smart and so funny and so silly. I mean, silly is, I do think it's really underrated. Oh, I missed out Palin who's the top of the shops. He's number one for all of those things. A really amazing bloke who is clearly so smart, but also very, very silly. Is there a music DJ that you love? Perhaps when you were listening to the radio as a teenager, is there someone that you really admired? Yeah, there were loads of good ones. I was a huge Steve Penk fan when I was a kid. I loved Chris Tarrant. I really loved Johnny Vaughan when he was on Capitol. I thought Scott Mills on Early Breakfast was unbelievably brilliant. I loved early Moyles because that really got me into Moyles in the afternoon I thought was brilliant. There was a guy called Chris Brooks who was on Capital at the weekends when I was getting up to do my shifts at WH Smith's. I used to listen to him in the morning and he was one of the few presenters that replied to my email. So I always remember him. And I loved listening to Joe Wiley, but the ones that I used to try and emulate were Scott and Chris, I'd say. So when I joined Radio 1, that was very much the tone of the station was set by those two that you had to try and be that good or better than them in order to succeed. And that was one of my aims, I guess. Thanks so much for being so honest, Craig, and telling such great stories. I've got one or two more quick fire questions for you. So just quickies, these ones. Please. What song did you uh, do your first dance to at your wedding? Bella didn't dance, but I danced to it. But it was a weird one. It wasn't a traditional wedding. This is not a quick fire question. Answer is it? Um, it was Prince Purple Rain. I did it on my own. Well, like the whole eight minutes. Well, sort of, yeah. <laughs> so I think I lost interest, went to try and grab her, but she was busy um, chatting to her friends. But we walked down the aisle separately to the ballad of Barry and Frieda, the Victoria Wood, let's do it, let's do it track. So that was what oh, we did. wow. And we walked out to Sylvanesso, Glow, which is one of our favourite songs. All of the cool in one service there. All right, Craig, uh, is there a song you've ever refused to play on the radio? yeah chris brown because he's a nasty piece of work have you ever had a blazing row while you're playing a song on the radio no i don't think so i've definitely had disagreements and i would 
publicly like to apologize to Ian Challoner, who was my producer, when I had a couple of years where I was quite sad and probably quite angry at the world. It was never horrible. I don't really shout. That should never be the atmosphere of a radio station. What do you do while the songs are on? Think about the next bit. Look for a funny caller. Plan a little joke into the next song. Yeah, a lot of checking and twiddling and practice a little bit. Maybe I'll look at the intro of the next song. There's always something on. You never really get to listen to your own show, do you? And that's the tragedy. <laughs> or not. <laughs> There's some kind of non-specific catastrophic event with a caveat that you, Greg James, have to play the last three records on Earth. What would those three records be to a global audience? Oh, my God. What a question. That is an absolutely mad question. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? So... At the end, I'd play Going Missing by Maximo Park. Um, That would be my final one. I'd be sentimental. I'd want to say goodbye to my mum and dad. So I'd probably play The Water Boys, This Is The Sea, because that's one of my dad's favourite songs and therefore one of mine. And so it needs to be something fun. I mean, I'd probably play The Ballad of Barry and Frieda, I guess. What a way to go. (laughs) Greg, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. It's been a real pleasure to be asked. And also... You have a very, very special place in my heart because you were the first real life radio person that I ever met. And I think if I hadn't have met you, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing because you made it seem like it was a a thing that was fun and achievable for a little shy boy like me. You're very kind, you're very generous and you are the nicest guy in the business. So thank you, Greg James. And that was How to DJ. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs>